really my mission was just to eradicate fear and to say to women, you can be in relationships with people. You can have an amazing husband. You can have an amazing partner. You need to talk about money. You need not to be afraid of it. You need to take control of it because this is the linchpin of being in control of your life. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Welcome back to the show, ETMers. It is so good to have you here. I got to tell you, this is an episode that is personal for me and hopefully for any woman listening. And honestly, I think for the men in your life too. So okay, this episode is actually for everyone. Women have been largely overlooked in money conversations. And you know the stats, right? We earn less, we live longer, so much more. We definitely get the short end of the equality stick a whole lot. So it's even more important. No, no, no. I think the word is it's it's critical. It is absolutely critical that we as women learn how to have fiscal freedom. As our guest Kimberly Davis says, a lot of women don't know what the heck is going on with their finances and don't like to talk about it. In Kimberly's new book, The Fiscal Feminist, she shares must-know money lessons that every woman needs to know and really hold your hand through some serious topics like divorce and prenups, postnups, you know, all those money topics that you just rather hide from. Her message is that you need to become the CEO of your life. So join us for this inspiring episode that feels like a fun information overload, but in the best way possible. And just a wild ride with Kimberly. Let's get talking. Kim, I am so thrilled to have you join us on the podcast today. I know we're going to have a great conversation. So thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited uh, to be with you today, Shauna. I've been listening to some of your podcasts. I love your message. I love how you break it down, make it manageable for people. So I am honored and privileged to be part of your podcast family. Nice. Thank you. Yes. Well, I know we've got some important stuff to talk about today. I wanted to start here. You know, women have been largely uh, overlooked in many money conversations. And on top of that, we know the stats. We earn less. We live longer. That's just to name a few challenges. But your new book, The Fiscal Feminist, it just came out in May. And as we're recording this conversation right now, the Supreme Court just overturned Roe v. Wade which is going to have a huge financial impact on on women. I, I love the timing of your book. I've always been an advocate that we as women, we really need to take charge in all areas of our lives. And because money impacts everything, we we need to start there. And as you say, ignorance, ignorance is not bliss. So Kim, what are some of the unique money issues and concerns that you think women we must confront that really inspired your book? Well, you know, it's a very holistic um, situation, right? There is not one element here or there, which is why this book is kind of, you know, addresses a panoply of topics. It's a very holistic approach to being financially organized, but mostly being kind of CEO of your own life, right? Being in control of your own destiny. And money, whether we like it or not, 
um, and careers and the way in which we, you know, get money is very much an integral part of our lives. Um, and so I think the problem has been for women, you know, there's not been the same conversations that, uh, you know, we have with our sons or over the years, I think women have not had the same narrative and the same conversations. And, you know, there's a lot of things and I mean, we could go on forever, but, you know, there's inequities in gender parity pay, uh, in gender segregation in careers. There's, you know, been a long road for women to even get to have some kind of equal rights. I mean, in 1976, women couldn't even get a credit card without the signatory of um, a husband or a brother. And in my particular situation, what really inspired me to write the book was partially my own journey. Um, you know, I graduated from law school in 1983. I was a corporate securities lawyer. Then I became uh, on Wall Street. And then I became an investment banker. And then I eventually got married and I have my three daughters who um, are on their late 20s and early 30s now. And um, I made some decisions along the way that I wouldn't have made if I knew what I know now that were very detrimental to my long-term financial health. I didn't really have a strategy or plan for a lot of things. And, um, you know, in the end, I, I wrote this book because I found myself in a very dangerous situation uh, when I was going through a gray divorce. And what happened to me was that in my early 50s, I ended up being in a situation where you know, I could have had a very, very bad retirement. And I had to kind of get all of my act together because based on all of the things that I had done previously, by not paying attention to certain things during my marriage, um, I ended up really be being behind the eight ball. And I was living in financial fear for my entire life. Can you mm. excuse me? For sure. Um, I'm, I'm, you can edit this, right? Yes. Okay. Totally. Thank you. So in any event, those were the things that were motivating me. You know, I was going through this divorce and it was happening in London. I was in, I had moved back to the United States because I did not want to retire and live my life in London. And the original deal had been that we would only be there two years because we were moving for my husband's career way back when. And, and we ended up, I ended up being there 14 years. So first mistake I made was making that decision um, and not thinking about the long-term consequences of what that meant to my career. Um, so in the end, I really was in a turmoil because the divorce took years and it was a litigated divorce and it cost a lot of money. Um, when we finally did resolve it, uh, you know, he abdicated on the divorce decree after six months of paying alimony. And I had a daughter at Georgetown and a couple of children in high school. Um, this then caused another court case. And during this point, you know, I was still trying to get acclimated and find a job. And thank God I eventually did get a job at J, uh, at Morgan Stanley. But, and then we eventually became a, a registered independent advisor uh, at the Bonson Group, which I am now managing director and partner in. But it, at that moment, I needed to make finding a job be my job because I was literally having to sell jewelry. I mean, I was living paycheck to paycheck or, you know, depleting what little funds I had left because there was no money coming in from the alimony and I was trying not to disrupt the children so much. So it was a just complete, complete mess. And I lived in fear for four or five years of my life. I was paralyzed with fear. Money controlled everything. I didn't control money. And so when I became a wealth manager and things became a little bit, you know, better for me and I 
I was very, very fortunate. It was a combination of, I believe, you know, the universe and my applying for millions of jobs, because obviously there weren't a lot of people clamoring to hire a 53 year old (laughs) woman, um, even with my pedigree and my resume. Um, but so I kind of got my act together. My book of business has been very robust and I've been very fortunate to be in the Bonson group. And, um, I continue to be a wealth manager, but along the way, I started to think about women of all economic strata and ages, and I thought, I never want one woman to ever go through what I went through. I don't want them to live in fear. I don't want them to wake up every night at three o'clock in the morning with the pit in their stomach and not be able to go back to sleep, and in my case, probably have a Jameson just to try to get back to sleep. Um which is a whiskey. Uh, I was just, I was completely worried about money all the time. And I thought, you know, I want to start a platform, not necessarily for my wealth management clients, but for all women so that they could have a roadmap and I can share whatever pointers that I've garnered along the way with them to be in charge of their lives. And to your point about Roe versus Wade, you know, I'm a feminist, I guess, of the second wave of feminists if you want to call it that. Um, and, you know, I thought we we have made so much progress, but yet I think there are topics that we no longer really talk about. And I think a lot of issues pertaining to women are no longer being addressed. I don't know. They're kind of getting overtaken by a lot of other pressing issues in the world today. But I, I really wish that women, both on a micro level within their own lives and on a macro level with their vote and their intention really become more engaged because this is dangerous territory for women. You know, one's reproductive rights is so important to their longevity, um, their financial longevity and how their financial life is really going to evolve. And it especially will affect them in retirement in their old age. Um, And I think probably in a negative way, if they end up having children they don't want and having that additional financial responsibility that they're not capable of really, you know, handling. So really my mission was just to eradicate fear and to say to women, you can be in relationships with people. You can have an amazing husband. You can have an amazing partner. You need to talk about money. You need not to be afraid of it. You need to take control of it because this is the linchpin of being in control of your life, being healthier mentally and, you know, physically. And it's to me, it's equivalent to self-care. If you go get a mammogram, if you go get a checkup, you should also be doing this. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Thank you for sharing so much of your story. I went through a divorce in my early 30s and I knew I had to walk away from that relationship for quite some time, but I also knew that that person was going to make it very financially difficult for me and that that was um, the mechanism that that person was going to use to, I guess we should say, for lack of better words, get under my skin. Right. And I had to make some really tough choices and just, you know, we looked at the math on paper and my attorney said, well, you got a couple of really bad choices. Which of the bad choices do you want? And that was really what, for me, changed how I think about money and my relationship with money because I was in the same place that you were in. There's this fear around money and, and fear that somebody else controlled things and, and 
you know, I didn't know what to do. I mean, it just, it's a swirling experience. If anybody listening has been through anything like this, you know, that this just, it's really hard to kind of find your way through this. Uh, and, and you talked about that you wanted to share some of these topics that you feel like women need to know about, but aren't talked about. Tell me a little bit more about some of these subjects that you really want to bring to light. Right. So the thing, what I try to accomplish in this book is, you know, just to attack certain issues that I think are really kind of the cornerstone issues that we should be thinking about. So, you know, if you put them into buckets, right, you can think, okay, personal finance, right? Um, That's just the most basic thing. A lot of women don't know what the heck's going on with their finances, right? Um, They don't like to talk about it. You know, there's a large percentage of women that just would rather literally do anything than plan or budget or even think about their money. Um, And, and so on a micro level, we can split it up into micro macro on a micro level. We need to be aware of what is going on in our financial lives. I know it's not fun. It's not as fun as, you know, thinking about like what you're going to buy and all that stuff, but it will it it will actually, you know, kind of control so many aspects of your life. So the first thing I want women to do is like to realize this is pretty easy. And a lot of this is about mindset. So if you change your mindset and say, you know, actually, um, maybe understanding my finances and, and learning how to save could be fun. And then I could, you know, start getting a high from seeing my savings account. Um, that's the first thing is changing your mindset, but really just on a, understanding your own infrastructure, right? Knowledge is power. Ignorance is not bliss. Those are kind of my, my mantras. So understand. And I think one of the things I listened to that you did that was very uh, well done is, you know, understand your cash flow, right? How much money do you have coming in? That's not that hard to figure out. You know what you make. If you're an entrepreneur, you can kind of do a little projection along the way, but you can be in the ballpark and know how much money is going out. If you have those two bits of information, then you're ahead of the game. I think, you know, there's a lot of apps that make it easy now to use a budget or to help you automate things or to give you notifications when you're overspending, so on and so forth. So the first thing I would say to people is you need to get your financial house in order and you cannot rely on your partner or your friend or your dad or your brother or your sister to be your financial plan. You have to be in charge of it. That is just accepting responsibility for yourself. And it's very simple and it can be made into bite-sized pieces and you can set goals that are achievable in short time periods so you don't overwhelm yourself. And as you get, you know, one success, you go on to the next. So obviously understanding the incoming and the outgoings, understanding, are you using your credit cards to bridge a gap because you're living beyond your means? If that's the case, then you need to look at your credit card debt and you need to eradicate it, i.e. pay it down. You can use the debt avalanche method. You could use the debt snowball method. Debt avalanche means you pay the highest interest rates off first. Um, and then the other snowballs, the smaller balances, whichever way you, you get motivated by. But there are all these things that you can look at. Uh, and then, you know, you, you have to have an emergency savings fund. And if you have four to six in liquid cash at that point, you can then worry about maxing out on your retirement in investments. And then at that point, if you want to buy a house or you want to invest in the stock market, that's the time that you do it. So just having a feel for where you are in that mix is the first thing. The second thing is you need to have intentional career choices. You need to really think about what you're going to do in your career. Um, 
if you are in a career that you don't like, if you do have an emergency savings fund, you might be able to pivot and do a side hustle or, you know, give yourself a little of breathing room there. That's another reason why I think an emergency savings fund is important, not only for emergencies, but for pivots in life. But I think being intentional in your career choices, you know, are the, are you, um, are you going to do something that is, you know, more bulletproof? Like during COVID, a lot of careers got, you know, eliminated uh, yes. in the service business, in education, um, in certain things that were really the hospitality business. So I'd like to see more women, you know, try to overcome that confidence versus competence, you know, kind of gulf that they have. I think a lot of women won't apply things for things unless they think they're a hundred percent you know, qualified to do it. Whereas men will apply for things when they're only 60% qualified. (laughs) And, you know, that eliminates a whole lot of jobs that they may be qualified for. So, you know, HP did this study a few years ago and they literally went to people who are women at HP and said, you are qualified for these jobs. We'd like for you to apply for them. And, you know, a lot of the women didn't do it because they did not feel they were hundred percent qualified. And that Mm. is a disservice to ourselves, right? we've been kind of taught through our lives that we've got to be good little girls, do everything right, do everything perfectly. No, that's, you know, that's incorrect for lack of a more, you know, (laughs) vernacular word. Profound word. word. (laughs) That's not right. Good is good enough. I tell my three daughters all the time, you know, if you strive for perfection, it will be your undoing. Put yourself out there. So I love to see more women, you know, looking into the, you know, STEM type professions uh, or just really evaluating companies that they're going to join. Do these companies have policies that are friendly toward women? Are they actually walking the walk and talking the talk? You know, make sure that, you know, you ask questions about, at you know, their HR uh, programs and, you know, are there women managers that can work remotely? Are all of their metrics not just FaceTime in the office, but actual results? Will they accommodate, you know, women who might want to have babies or partners that want to have babies, you know? I think you need to actually take responsibility to look at that because we can't really rely on the government to legislate all of that stuff. We can't even keep Roe v. Wade in place. So, um, you know, we have to make sure that we do our our own due diligence. So there is the career choices. And then within that, advocating for ourselves. Women don't like to advocate or negotiate. And, you know, I think we're getting better at it, but it is essential. You know, I've had so many situations in my life where, I get paid less than my male counterparts and I'm always beating that drum. I'm always complaining about it until I get, you know, what I think is my due. But I think, you know, women need to advocate. There are tips in my book about how to do that, but that's another component to this. And then I think in relationships, women need to be a lot more forthright than they have been over the years. Um, I don't think certainly people of my generation, women of my generation probably haven't really experienced seeing their mothers having these kind of conversations with their fathers because it was, you know, I, I'm, I'm a product of, I'm a baby boomer, right? So women were still kind of staying at home and completely and not all having careers, but really, you know, now I mean, I say to my children, you know, you need to have very open and transparent conversations with your partners about money, even when you're just dating. Um, If you're going to live with somebody, I really suggest people get a cohabitation agreement that can ultimately morph into a prenup. 
I do not believe that people need to be rich to have a prenup, especially millennials and younger people, um, because you guys are gonna, or younger people in their 20s now, they are going to get assets over time. So it's really important that everybody has these conversations. And if even if it's a simple one that can, you know, organically be adjusted over time uh, with a postnup, that's fine. But it starts the conversation. And I, I want women to know it's okay to have these conversations, it doesn't make you an evil woman. It doesn't make you less attractive. It doesn't mean that you love your partner any less. I feel, for example, in my first marriage, who I was married to him for 20 some years, and as I said, have three children with him. If, if, if he and I had had this conversation before we got married, which we never did, um, or we had had a prenup, which no one talked about in 1987, um, we would have either figured out how to address our different money personalities or we would have just not gotten married. Right. Exactly. You know, I mean, so I think the other thing is, is relationships. We need to be able to talk about money and relationships, be open, not be afraid. And we also need to think about whether we should have legal agreements in place if we're going to cohabit or if we're going to get married. And then, the other component I think for women in transition is in the divorce space. There is a lot of pre divorce strategy that is very important to whether or not a woman walks away in her divorce, living a lifestyle with some dignity and not being at odds, you know, with, you know, really being in a bad place in her retirement. And I don't mm, think a lot right. of people talk about or address a pre-gaming divorce, which is important, and then the divorce strategy. Because I think, you know, a lot of women who are getting these gray divorces are ending up with not what they think they're going to end up with. They Women live five years longer than men, statistically. We have longer retirement periods, more medical costs, and these things need to be addressed. And and just getting back to the thing about the prenups and just talking about these things with your partner, if you decide to, and I'm just talking with my daughter about this now, who, you know, she's 31, she's getting married in October. Um, she's in the middle of formulating her prenup, but, you know, she's a lawyer. And if I said to her, you know, if you step back part-time, or even if Sam does, either of them, right? Um, if one party is going to step back, part do less work or part-time or just stay out of the workforce for a while, they're not contributing to Social Security. They're not contr- contributing to their 401k. Or they're, maybe they might do a spousal IRA, but you know they're not contributing to their 401k. They are taking a hit on their career development. This is kind of what happened to me when I agreed to move to London for my husband's job. Um, and these things are very hard to get back, right? You can't, yeah, it's, exactly. you can't, unless you go into overdrive like I am now, right? So I have to make up for lost time, right? Because, you know, things just did not work out the way they, they could have. There was a lot of, you know, kind of tomfoolery that occurred in the whole divorce and not adhering to decrees and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I'm still, I'm playing catch up. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be working into my seventies to get to where I need to be, to have my retirement money in order to the, to the extent that I want it to be as to how I want to live in retirement. Right. So I think, you know, these personal things are as important to women's uh, financial health as, 
you know, are you maxing out on your 401k and do you have a good financial strategy? You know, how are you investing your money? And, you know, are you a long-term investor or do you have diversified allocations and so on and so forth? That's a whole other topic, which is also part of this. But I think it's many different building blocks. It's not just one. And it's also making sure that you have your infrastructure in order so you can, you know, understand your situation enough to like, know your your financial life and that just doesn't go if you're single it goes if you're married i i have women who walk into my office with their husbands all the time and they have no clue what their husband makes they i believe it you know don't read tax returns and this isn't just old ladies these are young and old ladies you know um people don't women sometimes are busy they're busy with their the caregiving whether it's their parents or their kids or whatever their houses, I don't know, but they get so busy that they think that all of that stuff takes priority over understanding what's going on. And, you know, when you start to commingle assets with somebody, this has a big effect on your life, right? Um, certainly in the world of debt, it does. Um, even in a, you know, in a, and I don't mean to digress here, but you know, in a community property state, you can't put in a prenup that you're going to split debt. It's just not enforceable. All debt is going to be attributed to both partners, no matter how you cut it or dice it in in an agreement, it will not be withheld on the debt side. So you need to understand what your partner's debt is, their credit score. You need to be reviewing your credit reports because all of these actions by this other person affect you. So those are yeah, when I, all those holistic things, right? They're all moving together. I love the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like you and me resources once reserved for big businesses. They are customized for my needs with great looking online stores that bring my idea to life and tools that just help me manage my day to day and drive sales in a really easy way. So with the talk of recession, I think there's no better time than now to start your entrepreneurial business or side hustle. I launched my Shopify store in 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic with the launch of my first book, The Money Mindset Journal, and I just fell in love with Shopify's platform and ease. Shopify powers millions of entrepreneurs just like me and you from first sale to full scale. And every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify, which is pretty amazing. So get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. You can access powerful tools to help find customers, drive sales, and manage your day to day. Go to shopify.com slash my money, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash my money right now. Shopify.com slash my money. What grows great with a summer vibe? How about checking out an account with no monthly fees? Just like a cool breeze, Chime is a refreshing way to handle your money. Get this, no monthly fees, no maintenance fees, or a minimum balance fees. It's just like banking should be. And when you need access to your money, you can do so fee-free at more than 60,000 in-network ATMs at many locations like Walgreens, 7-Eleven, and CVS. You can also send money to anyone, even if they aren't on Chime. Fee-free for you and no cash-out fees for them. 
Chime, no monthly fees, no vibe-killing fees. Sign up for a Chime checking account. It only takes two minutes and doesn't even affect your credit score. Get started at chime.com slash mymoney. That's chime.com slash mymoney. Chime is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by and debit card issued by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank N.A., members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees apply except at MoneyPass ATM in a 7-Eleven location or at any other AllPoint or Visa Plus Alliance ATM. Other fees such as third-party and cash deposit fees may apply. Are you looking for a podcast that's entertaining, more bingeable than your favorite Netflix show, and just informative? Want to know what I'm listening to this week? The Personal Finance Podcast. It's a podcast that will teach you the hacks, tips, and tactics you need to upgrade your money all while spending less and saving more. This show isn't a show that teaches you to save money by clipping coupons. It's more about learning how to build generational wealth and spending your money on things you value. So it's a great addition to everyone's talking money in your podcast rotation. The host, Andrew Giancola, truly believes everyone in this world can build wealth and his passion and excitement are what makes this show so entertaining. One of my favorite episodes I heard recently is episode 89, where Andrew shows you how to become a millionaire by age. His advice is actionable and relatable. Another episode I love is episode 134, While Your First 100K is the Hardest, The Math That Explains Why. You're going to definitely want to dig into that one. The Personal Finance Podcast has something for everyone, and I'm sure you'll find a new tactic that you can apply to your own life. Whether it's a money hack that increases your net worth or a new way to increase your income, search for the Personal Finance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your wallet will thank you later. I want to talk a, a little bit more about postnups and, and prenups, and you mentioned cohabitation agreement. I've not heard of that one. Uh, are, are you seeing women asking for prenups uh, as much as men? Is there any sort of gender uh, information that you see there? And and how do we how do we broach the topic of a prenup or a postnup with our partner? Yeah. And I, I would say this, um, I think the anachronistic traditional thoughts that we have been inculcated with over forever, um, are still, you know, swimming around out there in our brains. So I think generally if a woman wants to ask for a prenup, um, you know, maybe people think she's a gold digger or this, that, right. and other. but the reality is, is a lot of women today are actually breadwinners and the primary breadwinner. Fun fact is many of those women, when asked about whether they're the primary breadwinner, and I have a a statistic in my book, will actually um, lie about it and say that their husbands actually make more than them. Another crazy fact. I believe that too. Another (laughs) crazy fact. Um, But the thing is, I think, you know, I think a lot of women are working today, but I think this, you know, that women are initiating it more than men do because I don't think men really think about the fact that generally 70 to 75% of all caregiving is done by women, even women who are the primary breadwinner. So most likely it's going to be a woman who is going to step back or step out completely. And we saw this during COVID, right? During the the she session. Um, So I think women have to be the initiator on this and they don't they should not feel guilt or feel bad. They're going to feel really bad 
if in 30 years they get divorced and they don't get anything or any recognition for all that invisible labor that they did during their marriage, right? So I think if you really love each other and in this day and age, whether you're 25 or 55 and getting married, and especially if you're 55, because you'll have some assets, um, if you can't have these discussions and open them up and say, you know, I love you and I want to be able to, you know, really manifest the, the, the relationship that we foresee with each other, but we really need to understand what that looks like economically. And we also need to discuss how that might affect me. For example, if I decide to step out of the workplace to take care of children, um, my daughter is in the middle of talking to her prenup lawyer right now about this, and we're going back and forth. And, you know, at the beginning, I think her fiance was a little hesitant, but now they're in the throes of it. You know, he could, he, he comes from a family that he will have an inheritance, which will by definition be separate property. But I think it is a very healthy thing for couples. So I would say, you know, you can do it at dinner with a glass of wine. Just don't get too drunk. <laughs> you remember what you say. Um, and just try to make it as, you know, as, as easy as possible without it being, it doesn't have to be like where you sit down with your calculator and your lawyer, you know, you need to have the initial discussions because most relationships deteriorate over money. And a lot of divorces occur over money issues. And if you don't want that to happen to you, it's best to have those discussions when you still love each other and everything is going well, right? I think in the end, it will increase the longevity of the relationship, you know, because- Tell me about the, tell me about the cohabitation agreement. How is that different than a prenup? Is it just a version of a prenup before you get married? Well, it it can morph into a prenup, but the difference is this. A lot of people who live together, right, they're not formally married. And people who are not formally married do not have the same rights as people who are formally married. So if, and a lot more people are cohabiting, right? Um, you know, even older people are, are more likely to cohabit now than they are to get married. So it is very important if you start to live with somebody and it's going to, you know, going to go on, um, that you kind of have a discussion about, okay, you know, who's going to be responsible for what, who's going to pay, you know, Who's going to pay these bills? Who's if we, you know, if you decide that you want to even buy a house together, how you're going to own that house? And if you were to split up, how that house will be split? Or will you buy that person out? Or, you know, because if you don't have these things in writing, you know, one person will just never move out. They'll just stay there forever. (laughs) Um, So you need to have certain legal protections in place because you are not married and you will not have the legal protections that marital couples have. So I would address things like how specific assets are owned, um, you know, how income and expenses are shared, if at all, how newly acquired assets are going to be owned, how are your bank accounts and credit cards going to work? Um, if, you know, you do split up, how certain things are going to be distributed, you know, that way, you know, you get the furniture, I get the TVs, whatever. Um, if you actually go on to property ownership, how that's going to be addressed, what is the ownership going to look like? How will it be divided if there's, you know, an issue later down the line? If there are debts involved, you know, just making clear that unmarried partners are not responsible for each other's debt because they're not married. But if they happen to do something like have a joint account, 
for household expenses or something, how to delineate again, how that will be split up if something were to happen. Um, and obviously, you know, if it's a long relationship, if there's a breakup, will one of the people get support because they've been tantamount to maybe living like a married couple? Um, or if one of them dies and the, you know, some of them, if you don't have your will or your trust in order and your partner or they don't, and they die, you know, what does that look like? You know, just having that discussion as well, but you can also memorialize certain aspects of that in a cohabitation agreement. That's particularly important for people who come into cohabiting with children from another marriage, right? Because there can be some arguments if someone were to die and it needs to be very clearly delineated who's getting what if that were to happen. So it just makes things very clear. It also um, allows for the conversation to get granular. It's, it can, you know, it's a, just a written agreement and um, it can morph into a prenup or the, be the basis of a prenup if down the road you decide to actually get married. But um, these are, these are actually a lot more common today and they're a real thing. And, um, you know, I think people can live together for years and years and years. So if they're going to do that, um, they should really think about having a cohabitation agreement. Well, Kim, you've given us so much to think about. I, I love all this. I love how you've curated the information that's in your book. I think it's just, as you said, these are important things that women need to really think about, spend some time on, get educated about. I'd love action items or maybe a to-do list for any woman listening right now that really wants to start today to build a path to financial freedom, what would you give us as a takeaway? I would say the most important thing is to understand your personal situation. It's essential because you can't do anything if you don't know what you don't know, right? So understand your money, whether you're single or you're in a partnership, understand exactly what your financial situation looks like right now. Because if you are on autopilot and you're just hoping it will all work out, it's not going to, right? So I think you have to take the, 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 the medicine and you have to, on a micro level, you need to really understand your financial situation and what you're trying to achieve, but you need to be aware of what's going on. If you're in a partnership, You need to understand your own situation and your joint situation, how that affects your own situation. So I think, you know, just being knowledgeable, being inquisitive and not being afraid to initiate conversations to find out that information. Um, So that would be my first takeaway that I would tell people, you know, knowledge is power. So know yourself to thine own self be true, right? The second thing is, don't be embarrassed or ashamed about the fact that you want to be boss of your life, that you want to be CEO of your life. You can be married, you can be in a partnership, you can be any person in this world, but you should be CEO of your own life, nobody else. And the only way to do that is to take control of it, be in charge of it, um, understand what's going on in your own life, and also look out into the great wide world and figure out who you want to vote for, and how policies affect your life, and be proactive on that score because that has a long arm reach into your life. So don't, again, autopilot, not allowed. You got to be engaged, micro level, 
macro level. And that's how this all changes, right? Because if all, if more and more women become role models for other women, people say, Hey, you know, she's the CEO of her own life. She's badass. You know, she's, she's got her, you know, all of her stuff in, in, in order. She's maybe she's starting her own business, but she's got some financial probity there. She's, she's successful, but she's knowledgeable and she's not relying on other people to take care of her. Nobody's going to take care of us, right? We need to take care of ourselves. The notion that someone's going to come along on a white horse or, on a motorcycle or in a boat. I don't know. <laughs> However people show up, they're not showing up. You have to be in charge. So my takeaway is be in charge, take control. Don't be afraid, you know, because fear is your enemy. And once you have the knowledge and you start, you know, working on these things and you start, you know, advocating for yourself and making intentional decisions, and understanding your money, talking to your partner about it, you know, advocating in the workforce, voting to increase your rights, all of those things, you're going to see great things happen in your life that improve the situation. And that will motivate other women to do the same. So it's like one woman at a time. Oh, I love it, Kim. Well, thank you for sharing all of this amazing information. This is this is just stuff we need to be talking about. So I'm so so and, thankful and, that you're here for this you important conversation. For, yeah. And thank you for, you know, your podcast and getting the word out there. I mean, we just need, I mean, I, and you know, you have, you know, a background in this, I, I believe you were a financial planner. So I love that someone with knowledge and background um, is out there spreading the word to women. My one fear is that there are a lot of, you know, somebody interviewed me the other day uh, at investment news and said, you know, are you a finfluencer? And I said, well, I don't think so. Um, I want to influence people, but I want to make sure that whatever I say, I can back up and that I'm giving them good advice. So I just want women to understand to be careful where you get your information from, because not all information sources are legit, you know, or well thought out. So thank you for your efforts in, in this realm, because I think, you know, it's really important to see women talking about this and and having a podcast like this is is awesome. Well, thank you. I will put an exclamation mark on what you just said. I I fully endorse uh, get your information from credible sources. I would love for you to tell everyone listening where they can go to connect with you. And if they're interested in picking up a copy of your book, The Fiscal Feminist, where do they find it? So the book is The Fiscal Feminist, A Financial Wake-Up Call for Women. You can get it on Amazon. You can also go to Barnes & Noble and any bookstore and get it. Um, But Amazon, easy. Just go on there, type it in, and it will pop up. And you can buy The Fiscal Feminist, A Financial Wake-Up Call for Women. Um, You can also follow me on Instagram, at The Fiscal Feminist. Uh, We have a lot of tips. And uh, I also have a podcast called The Fiscal Feminist. Um, like you, I interview people. I also just kind of riff on all kinds of other things that I think are important. Um, and you can also visit the website, www.thefiscalfeminist.com. There's more information there. Also, if people would just like a one-on-one consultation with me to do kind of a, a review of where they're at and where they might want to go, um, I'd be happy to do that with them as well. Um, so lots of ways to find me. Um, and I'm always really, really excited to speak to women. I love going and doing speaking engagements as well. I did one last week for a group of women in commercial real estate, and it was just such a wonderful event. And 
just so encouraging to see so many dynamic women in a room just is uh, so uplifting. So we need more of that. I love the idea of thinking about money as building blocks. I think that's a concept that I can really wrap my head around. I hope you can too. It's the idea that you don't have to know everything all at once. You just have to start stacking some of those blocks. So as Kimberly says, don't let the overwhelm and fear keep you down. Me, along with Kimberly, all the other guests that we've had on the show, they're really here to help cheer you on to fiscal freedom. Because after all, I hope that's why you're listening to this show is to step into whatever financial freedom looks like for you, right? And you do that each day by just putting one footstep in front of the other, taking one small baby money step after the next. And that really then builds this, I know this might sound cheesy, but this this house of money, no, that sounds really bad. You get where I'm going with this, right? You, you build your house, your financial freedom house with one brick after the next. So if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to share it with a few friends, family, anyone you want to shout it out to right now. And if you could go to whatever podcast player you're listening to this episode in right now and just leave us an honest review, that would mean so much. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. At Omni Hotels and Resorts, you'll discover endless ways to enjoy fall. From gold-tinted mountains to vibrant city centers to sun-warm beaches, Omni offers unforgettable autumn escapes from coast to coast. Choose from over 50 destinations. Book now at omnihotels.com slash fall. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.